Hello to all and welcome to episode 18. A little disclaimer out front. Uh, when Zach and I were discussing the hand, after the flap we got a little turned around in terms of bet sizing. So you'll hear me interject into our discussion just to clarify things. Uh, but I think overall the discussion was still great. Uh, so enjoy the hand. Hey Zach. Hello Jack. How are you enjoying the Florida weather? Uh, not as much as the poker, but it's pretty good. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Uh, it's going to warm up in the next couple of days, but the action's already hot. Ha ha ha. Anyways, I hear you had a hand for me yesterday while uh, you were waiting for my flight to get in. Yeah, I was uh, in the middle of what turned into an eight-hour session at the Seminole Hard Rock Casino in Fort Lauderdale on about two hours of sleep. <laughs> so it's a great time to play poker. Yeah, I was I was pretty happy. Uh, with my decision making, given that there were definitely a few clear mistakes, mainly that had to do with not taking enough time, uh, which is a leak of mine that happens when I put in longer sessions, especially when I get really tired. Besides that, uh, it overall went pretty well, but it was a very swingy s- session, a lot of action there. For any of our listeners that are in the Florida area and uh, haven't been to the Hard Rock Casino or choose to play at another place... Uh, I'd highly recommend going there and making it your regular casino. Mm-hmm. So here's the hand. Um, this, they have nine-handed tables there. It's currently seven-handed. And at this point, I have kind of a crazy image, uh, which normally happens after a few hours into a session. Uh, the play here is very loose uh, and very passive, like most live poker, but way more so and even extra loose. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of, you know, raise calling three bets with 10-8, 10-9 suited, uh, a lot of calling single raises with very bad suited connectors, suited kings, suited queens, just kind of an ideal ideal game, in in many ways resembling 1-2, but just a lot more aggressive. Okay. Uh, But in terms of the ranges, you know, a lot of similarities. So at this point, I'm in the hijack, and there are two limps after a button straddle, and I have queen nine suited, and this is definitely the bottom of my range here, but the two players that have limped so far uh, are both the kind of more straightforward, weak tight players, so they're a lot more likely to limp fold their their, uh, straddle limps than anyone else, Mm -hmm. Uh, and they also are going to play very face-up post-flop, so what might be a fold against, you know, one good player, one player like this, I think makes this a raise. I'm also, I think the first player had about 600, the second player had about um, 550. What do you think of the, the pre-flop uh, open? Oh, and I made it I made it uh, 65, which is going to be standard sizing for me. I'm making it 45 uh, with no limbs, so. Okay. Yeah, no, that sounds good. I mean, uh, if they're likely to fold, then, you know, you could take it down here the people who are most likely to see the flop, you're going to have position on. Uh, it seems like it's a pretty standard open, given the description of the table. Yeah, and, and to elaborate a little bit further, the the button and the blinds are the three weakest players at the table at this point. And if they call, I'm maybe a little bit behind their range, but they, you know, it's definitely a spot I want to be in, even if it's a fairly high variance spot. Yeah. Okay. And is the player on the straddle someone you know will defend? Uh, or uh, No. The player on the straddle uh, is someone 
who is not going to, like, kind of defend because it's his straddle anymore, but is just a generally loose player. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, if it's someone you know is going to defend their straddle, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't open, but then I feel like you have to consider it to be a lot more likely that you're going to go to the flop four ways. Yeah, and I, I think if I think the, the button is going to straddle a lot, I think this is a fold with queen nine suited. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, for, for the listeners, like, I'm not opening jack eight suited here. I'm not doing it with queens uh, eight suited. Queen nine is really the bottom of, of my range here, but I still think I'm going to uh, dominate a lot of hands that the button blinds will call with. And I don't think I'm dominating that many hands that the more kind of straightforward players who have limped. Uh, we'll call with, but I think I'm dominating enough and have the, you know, the positional and skill advantage to make it a profitable open. Okay. Um, so what happened? So unfortunately, uh, especially the, the guy in the big line, uh, who was cold calling a lot of, you know, open raises with the straddled pots, about half the time the, the pot was straddled. So it was effectively kind of like a 5-10 game, and stacks were generally fairly deep, and he had about 1,500 behind, and I covered, and I really wanted him in the pot. Uh, he folded, and the two players at limp both called. So we see a flop of king, jack, six, and the king and the jack are both of diamonds. Uh, and I forgot, I have queen nine of diamonds here. Oh, so, okay. So I flop a gut shot and I flop a flush draw. Uh, it's checked to me with no, you know, kind of physical or timing reads that are out of the ordinary. And I do kind of what I think I'm always doing here, which is c-betting this flop. And I opt to go for a bit larger sizing because... Uh, you know, I can't really imagine folding this hand or being too bad against someone's shoving range. Uh, so I just kind of want to maximize fold equity on the flop, and I think against these players, they'll be a lot more likely to call me with a jack if I do a sizing of, like, 50 or 60 as opposed to a sizing that's bigger. So with this spot, Zach actually meant 80 or 90 by a smaller sizing. He was confused because he forgot it was a straddle pot. Uh, he actually ends up betting $140, uh, but never says that. Yeah, I agree. I'm. Did you mention the stack sizes of the two callers? Yes. Uh, it was 600 for the first player and about 550 for the second player. Okay. Uh, I like it. So, uh, the first player calls. Um, and I think that player is doing so with, you know, some of their better jacks, all of their kings all of their diamond draws, some of their gut shot straight draws, all of them open-enders, and I think they're rarely raising as a bluff here unless they have some type of combo draw, um, mm -hmm. but I block pretty much every one of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, there's literally one exact hand of ace-ten of diamonds, yeah. but besides that, you know, I, I think they're calling here with draws that I'm dominating, um and kind of weaker weaker made hands. I don't think they're going to slow play any uh, you know, two pair of sets. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure you're dominating all the draws. I mean, I think that Do you think they're ever raising uh the nuffless draw here? Did you say that? Um I said they'd probably only be raising a combo draw. It's hard to say. Like I only I played with this player for about 4 hours and uh he was pretty loose pre-flop but never really got out of line post-flop. So he might even be the type not to raise with a combo draw. I just, in my experience, when I kind of take semi-bluffing out of people's ranges, sometimes they show up with combo draws, and then, you know, sometimes, but a lower percentage of the time, they show up with not flush draws. 
So, you know, I think it's there's a chance, but I think it's fairly low. So, yeah, so you probably are yeah, uh, I mean, facing like, some nephilestras in the cold calling range. Yeah, yeah. So, and then the 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 next player makes it 250. Here, Zach is still thinking in terms of a non-straddle pot, and Villain had actually raised to 350. In truth, that's relatively inconsequential, because we're basically playing for stacks here, and stack sizes were correct. And I think when this player makes it 250, uh, they're also rarely kind of raising uh, as a bluff, uh, or as a semi-bluff. So I think their range here is going to have all their combos of ace-king, which they would play this way. It's a very passive player. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I remember I was thinking about this hand is I actually did see this specific player limp call with ace-king offsuit before. Uh, I think this player might do it with most of their combinations of king-queen. The only real hand I saw this player play uh, post-flop is uh, where he played ace-king you know, limp called a straddled pot, and then it was, I think, a field of, like, five people. And when it was checked to him, after the pre-flop razor checked, he kind of bet big and then just kind of bet three streets on a dry run out and um, got paid off by what I presume was a worse king. So besides that, I don't really have any post-flop info about this player besides playing a lot of hands pre and folding a lot post. Uh, so that's kind of the assumptions I'm making about what they're doing with their kings. I think they're definitely raising all their king-jack combos. I think they're definitely raising all their sets of sixes combos. And I don't think they're ever kind of weirdly turning a jack into a bluff the way some players might. Mm-hmm. Um, any other types of hand, value hands that I'm that I'm missing here? No, I mean, unless... I mean, it seems really unlikely. I think some very passive players could show up here with jacks. Yeah, but it, it, mm-hmm. it seems somewhat unlikely. I think we can at least discount certain combos, but mm-hmm. uh, given that you think this player might have ace-king, I think that it's not unreasonable to think that he would also have jacks. Yeah, definitely. So so the question is here is, with the money I have invested in the pot, with the dead money of the first player who's never, you know, calling a raise here? Well... I guess if they have the nut flush. Right. Pot. Yeah, you're right. Who's rarely calling a raise here? And I don't feel like I have fold equity against the second player. You know, with a five or fifty dollars stack, they're they're always calling. So right. what what am I doing here? Obviously, it's it's shoving or folding. Well, you know, honestly, I've been thinking about this spot for the, for the last couple of minutes, and I don't think we're folding. I think we could really call here because we're not going to realize our equity. You know, BG is going to shove every blank turn card. Yeah, so I, I mean, my my original plan before considering the fact that the caller might have enough less draw was to shove. Yeah, uh, so I, I think we have enough equity to shove, uh, especially with the dead money in the pot. It just makes me nervous thinking that you know there's probably you know there there's easily like six combos, six or seven combos of enough less draws in this guy's range. Yeah, and that's what made me a little uncomfortable, and also, even if he doesn't have any nut flush draws, he might have worse flush draws, giving me dirty outs. You know, that we have to account for that some of the time. Mm-hmm. It's definitely that's unlikely, but in the same way, nut flush draw is unlikely. You know, other flush draws are also also present. Yeah, and the fact that we think that this player's range is 
potentially draw heavy, uh, you're missing potentially... We can probably round you down an out or two, just based on the presence of so many outs uh, in that player's range. Yeah, so if we take, let's say, one and a half outs... Uh, so you've got 11 and a half. Yeah. Which is still, you know, 45% equity. So Well, not necessarily against... You know, it's 45% yeah. equity against hands that aren't sets. Right. right. So let's say you have... I wish I was able to be more precise with the math here. But let's just, for, for the ease of it, say that you have 30... 7.5% equity. So three-eighths of the time you win the hand. Does that sound about right? It might be more than that. I think it's it's probably more than that. Yeah. You know? So 40%? Sure. Let's say 40%. Well, I mean, you're definitely getting the price to shove. Well, then, yeah. I, I, guess, I guess we should be a little more exact about the math here, actually, because at this point, it really is a math problem. Yeah. Uh, we're just trying to figure out because we know the second player's range. You know, I'm very confident when he kind of instantly makes it 250, he's not doing that with a draw. Okay. Um, so, it's really about, you know, how many nut flush draws or even combo draws that the first player have in their range. We should really... This is a, this is a good time for pencil and paper. Yeah, or the poker cruncher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably both. Okay, well, what we'll do since... Uh, we don't want to interrupt the recording of the podcast, is that in the... We'll record the outro for this episode separately, and we'll give you, the listeners, uh, the poker software version of the hand, where we look at this spot uh, more precisely mathematically. But let's let's do some, you know, live-at-the-table math right now. Yeah, because this is what, you know, I ultimately tried to do at the table there, because I, I know it only to take a long time making decisions, but this is kind of the one spot where I literally just did the combinatorics work to the best of my ability at the table uh, mm-hmm. before deciding whether to, to call. Well, do you remember what you came up with? Yeah. What, what, I, what I was thinking was basically that I rounded it down to, like, taking away uh, two of my outs, which I think in retrospect was a little bit too big. Mm-hmm. And just thinking, okay, so I have 11 outs, uh, and I have approximately, again, 40% equity. Um, so I'm going... And that's accounting for sets, just to, for the listeners. Yeah. So I'm just going to call... Uh, sorry, so I'm just... So it's a, an easy shove here. Especially thinking that the first player is going to fold the vast majority of the time. So that's what I did. And the other player instantly called, as they expected they would, and I bricked. And the player turned over a set of jacks, which I think I mistakenly took out of his range preflop. And the two questions I left the table with were, one, did I do the math correctly? Which we're going to find out soon, using Poker Cruncher. And the other was, is his range more set-heavy here? than I initially would have thought. So I, I kind of gave you my reasoning for why I think he plays king this way. But do you think, kind of given all the information I told you, I could maybe take that out, or was I just kind of being result-oriented after losing a big pot? <laughs> take out ace-king? Not take out every combo of ace-king, but, you know, maybe he just calls here with ace-king sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. maybe he doesn't raise you with king-queen sometimes, and then if his range is just, like, king-jack, you know, 
some ja- you know some jacks and a set of sixes that might be correct to fold here, especially giving some nut flush draw and combo draw combos to the first player. Uh, well, I think that we should, you know, look at look at both on Poker Cruncher. My my hunch is that if you do narrow his range down, that it becomes a fold. Yeah. But I I'm hesitant to take Ace King out of his range there, just because I think a lot of older players treat those types of hands very similarly. Uh, this player is probably in their late 40s, early 50s, but I, I understand. Yeah, we're in Florida, so I guess I'm just assuming everybody's like 65. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, 40s, 50s, I don't think that changes things so much if you think this is a recreational player. Yes. Yeah, of course. And um, so I do think that a lot of players will... You know, treat a hand like ace-king very similar to a hand like a set of sixes. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, I'm reluctant to take any, uh, let alone all of the combos of ace-king out of the range without uh, seeing some sort of behavior uh, that would suggest such. I think the presence of jacks is not necessarily evidence against ace-king. Yeah. Uh, it's just evidence of how this person plays pre-flop. Uh, yeah, which might even be evidence that lean towards the fact that he has... Yeah, it would lead me to think that he would uh, merge, you know, yeah. ace-king uh, and sets into the same, you know, action. And that's also true. A lot of players that kind of slow play jacks and queens, or even kings and aces sometimes, they kind of have, like, a one-value hand uh, line, you know? Like, you'll see players that are really tight make, like, what looks like a very strong line with a value hand that sometimes doesn't make sense when it's, like, a big premium pocket pair that they get attached to. Yeah. And Ace-King might have that effect for them. I'm a little biased. Zach and I just came from a session where I just saw so many players doing that kind of thing. Oh. And it's really an exciting prospect to me. You just realize that people, you know, can't fold (laughs) hands like Ace-King on this board, which makes, you know, flapping a set of sixes a really, really profitable uh, endeavor, even more so than it would normally be. Yeah, like calling, you know, if you're deep stack, you know happily calling a three-bet out position with all your pairs, knowing you're going to get the stack. It's kind of the adjustment right. you make in those games, yeah. So, I can't necessarily say if I like the hand as played, but um, we'll figure it out. Yeah, honestly, this analysis is making me feel a little bit better about it. It's very difficult not to be results-oriented. That's something we constantly strive for. But when I was really debating what to do, you know, it took about two minutes on a decision, which almost never happens for me. Call and then, you know, see the very top of his range... You kind of, it's hard to not question it. And talking through hands with, you know, fellow poker players, people who, people whose opinions uh, you trust and respect, that's kind of, in my opinion, the best way to grow. Yeah. You know, this, I agree with that, uh, but I, my mind had sort of wandered elsewhere. Thinking through this spot and thinking about your image at the table, obviously, uh, the player who called your flop bet uh, folded anyways. But I do think there's something to be said for, you know, having the math sort of done beforehand a lot more often if possible. Because mm. I think once you take two minutes, you kind of turned your hand face up at least that it's a draw. And I think that, not that necessarily you would ever expect this person to fold a hand like the nutflush draw, but I think that you will see this person fold hands like worse flush draws, which you definitely want to see them call in this spot. 
Yeah, again, my I, I think you're I think you're definitely right. And we probably didn't talk enough about the first player calling. I kind of wrote it off fairly quickly as almost like a non-existent possibility. Yeah. Uh, which I think was definitely a mistake given the you know potential presence of some nut flush draw combos and some combo draw combos. Uh, but kind of what you just said actually made me think the fact that he could maybe even have a getting it in range here if I do shove. Like, what's that going to... What? Let's say that player has ace-king. Yeah. You know? Like, I even though the action looks really strong, the fact that I was playing kind of what, what looked like crazy at the time could maybe change the math a little bit if I think he's ever calling with a made hand there, uh, ruling out the fact that he might have, you know, sets or something. Yeah. And I, I think the sort of beauty of having all these questions is that we can take this spot where we're, we have uncertainty about uh, the contents of people's ranges and then use the poker software to have more concrete uh, decisions based on the different ranges we assign them and use the differences, you know, maybe they turn out to all be shoves or half or shoves and half or folds depending on the ranges we assign. But having that, having done an exercise like that, I think will give both of us a lot more confidence in similar decisions uh, in the future, which is the whole point. So I'm excited to, you know, figure out the rest of this hand. Likewise. So Jack here reporting on our Poker Cruncher findings. It turns out this is a call basically any way you range the villains. Against the villain who raised, uh, turns out you have the equity to shove whether or not you include hands like ace-king in their range or limited to only two pairs in sets. If the first caller is only calling with nut flush draws, then obviously when he calls, it's going to reduce your total equity. But uh, that's such a small percentage of his range that you can definitely make the shove either way. Uh, and if he ever calls with hands like ace-king, uh, then it makes the shove a lot more profitable. When stack sizes get above $2,200 or so, uh, it becomes a fold, especially if you assume that uh, the first caller is never going to call without enough flush draw. At such high stack depths, calling becomes more of an option, but to really discuss that, we would have to talk about uh, your implied odds, which really is dependent on how players are going to play uh, when draws come in and when draws don't come in. So we'll leave that train of thought up to the comment section. In other news, our premium podcast series, Grinding 2-5 at Maryland Live, is now available on our website. In this series, Zach coaches a Maryland Live 2-5 grinder, and they talk about some really great spots and get into some things that wouldn't normally come up on the podcast. I think it's a really valuable tool, both in terms of uh, the knowledge and experience Zach passes on and getting a sense of what it's like uh, to take coaching with Zach and what sorts of things he recommends players do to improve their game. Uh, I really enjoyed editing it, and I think it'll prove valuable for just about anyone playing live low-stakes poker. Finally, look out for my next blog post about learning Omaha. Uh, I review the Jeff Huang book I read and talk about my plans for continuing that study. All right, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.